me offer a prayer for us? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your people gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our light in the darkness. Amen. Well, this week as I was thinking about the message for Christmas Eve, I so wanted to just tell some stories. Some really good, you know, Christmas stories. Like everything that's been showing on TV for months and months now. You know what I'm saying? But I just couldn't do it. And so this is like a really different kind of Christmas message than what I have done before. So just stay with me. Hang with me. I hope it will help you as the words that I have learned over these few weeks have really touched me deeply, spiritually, personally. One of my favorite Christmas quotes is a quote by Hamilton Wright Mabie. Blessed is a season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. I like this quote because in speaking about this blessed season of Advent and Christmas, um, there's some suggestions in the quote that I think we ought to pay attention to. That we, you and I, are engaged, and so we participate in what is happening on this evening, and tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that. We are not just passive. We are active participants in this life. And it's not just us, it's the whole world. And there's a conspiracy. Now, you gotta like that, don't you? A, a conspiracy, there's some scheming that is loose in the world. Some scheming that God has set loose in the world. And it has everything to do with love. That the events of this night, as told in the story in the Gospel of Luke, are not just words about a baby being born, but about God's love being born into our world. And still, and still, there is one thing that I have been pondering, chewing on, squirming, awake at night, thinking about. All Advent season long. Why? Why did God choose to set this conspiracy of love loose in the world? And I believe some part of you wonders that too. Maybe not on Christmas Eve, maybe not on Easter Sunday, but aren't there times when you think, why would God do such a thing? This is a mystical story of immense meaning for us, so immense that here we are today, more than 2,000 years later, still singing songs of praise to God for the birth of Jesus. You know the story well. I know the story well. You could have probably quoted it, many parts of it, along with me as I read. We know the story. 
what we don't know really is the why of it. Why God did this? Why 2,000 years ago? Why in Bethlehem? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why Jesus? Of course, everyone, and I mean everyone, all of us who claim Christian as our middle name, all who say they follow Jesus, and every last church and denomination on the planet think they have a corner on the reason for God's conspiracy of love. They think they know exactly the why of it, right? I mean, after all, preachers have been preaching it for years, centuries, millennia. Then, over the course of time, as the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus moved further and further into the past, Jesus' first followers developed stories about him. Then they formed uh, an ecclesia, a, a church. Then the church began to develop teachings, what the church called doctrines about who Jesus was and, and what was his purpose, all in an effort to get to the answer of the why question. The ancient theological question that has been debated for centuries is why did God come and become one of us? Why? In some churches, in some theological thinkers, as they read the ancient Hebrew stories that are part of our faith, began to say that Jesus came to save us. In fact, Jesus is referred to in Scripture as Savior one of the many, many names for Jesus. Mary Ludy is one of my very favorite devotional writers, uh, writes, uh, is, a, is a seminary educator, pastor, has authored books and many articles, and ha helped to form a women's organization called the Daughters of Abraham that gathers uh, Christian women, Muslim women, Hindu women, I, I imagine Buddhist women, uh, all women of different faiths to come together and read books together and talk so that relationships can be born and, and discoveries about similarities can be made uh, that help breed people together, which is really needed, by the way, right now in this time. Uh, Mary Ludy suggested that some Christians think... <coughs> that the answer to the why God became one of us is that um, God needed to fix a big problem. To pay the debt incurred by Adam and Eve's sin. Oh, you know that old story, don't you? Yeah, it's a good one. You know, it's, it's got all the drama, Adam and Eve. And, you know, Eve gets, you know, the worst of it gets blamed for all of it. But Adam ate that apple too, so, you know. Uh, the, this theory is that when Jesus grows up, he will bridge with his broken body the vast gulf between our disobedience and um, God's holiness. And that theory makes sense if you look carefully at scriptures and read them in a certain way. 
with a certain understanding of who you think God is. Who you think God is, how God works in the world, how God is in relationship to us. Are you ready for that? Now here's what Father Richard Rohr says about that. Father Richard Rohr is a Franciscan, and one of the things Rohr points out is that there is an absolute connection between how we see God and how we see ourselves and the universe. So, if we're people who focus on our sin and see God as a God who punishes us for that, then it follows that we might just need a savior, a strong man, if you will, to swoop in as a hero and bridge the gap between ourselves and God and so save us. Of course, we often weren't willing to just stop there and accept the work of Jesus on the cross as saving. Instead, we went a step further and insisted that we had to do things in order to be saved by the work of Jesus. We had, we had to perform. We had to do all the right things, say certain words, behave in particular ways, repent of our sins, and a lot of churches added a lot more stuff. You probably know that, don't you? And if that's what you believe about God's purpose, you stand in a long line of theologians of the Christian tradition. And I won't say you're wrong. In fact, I believe that almost all of us at some time or another in our Christian faith journey have heard sermons and Sunday school lessons that reinforced that very understanding of God's purpose for the birth of Jesus. But what, what if that's not the only way to think about this? What if that's not the only way to think about the birth of Jesus? Why did God become one of us? Why was God manifest in a tiny infant? Why did God become one of us? Great thinkers like Mary Ludy, Richard Rohr, and Don Riso, who was one of the great Enneagram teachers, may his memory be a blessing, many of them have different ideas. Ludy explained that there are other beliefs about the birth of Jesus, and one of them, lean in, one of them is that Jesus was born and lived to make us aware of our own divine spark, our own divine nature. That just kind of gives me chill bumps. Jesus becomes our Savior to give to us God's own glory. In this version, God empties out to take humanity in, God stoops down to raise us up. God accepts limits to dissolve the limits that made it seem as if God and humans were opposites. The great wonder of the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, is that we are not opposite of God. And if you believe that God is a gracious and loving God who loves us extravagantly, Think here of the story of the prodigal son and the lovesick father, which is a metaphor for the love of God for us. And if you understand sin is about missing the mark and repentance is about turning and going a new way, and that 
more than anything, God wants relationship with us and will go to any extreme to love us, even when we really, 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 really mess up. And this might better fit your understanding of our ancient Hebrew and New Testament stories and Christian teaching. So if you believe this understanding of the birth of Jesus, then what you may have been waiting for in this Advent season is not someone to come and fix us, but someone to reveal ourselves to us, someone to show us who we are through the eyes of God. That means we can, in a moment of time, grasp Jesus' birth as the beginning of this conspiracy of love in the world, and that we are invited to be active participants in it. Don Rizzo wrote about this idea of the indwelling of the divine, saying, no matter what else he was, Jesus was an extraordinary example of the growth of divine human consciousness in the world. Even with his very first appearance in the Gospels, we see someone who always remembered who he was and who always acted from a perfect alignment with that truth. He always root, was rooted in the power and dignity of his divine origin, which is why people were so affected by him. If we take Rizzo's point of view, all of a sudden Christmas does not become some kind of ooey-gooey, sentimental story about a birth of a baby. Rather, it is an occasion to see this birth as the metaphor of a much deeper birth, the birth of our own consciousness, the ability of light to penetrate the darkness, the birth of the divine within us as human beings, and a decisive reorientation of our human awareness. If we believe that God is the manifestation of love in us and in our world, and that Jesus' birth was about revealing to us our own divine natures, then our very DNA is divine. And the divine indwelling is never earned by any behavior or any ritual but can only be reawakened and recognized and realized. The light we see on the horizon this evening as we celebrate the remembrance of the birth of Jesus is not some moral course correction. It's a mirror being held up to us so that we can see our own best selves, a joyous shock of recognition Look, I see it. There's a divine spark. I know it's there. And an ever-shining light of God's love and eternity within each of us. This week I read a beautiful psalm that I'll just read a part of. It's, a, it's called The Psalm of an Emerging Emmanuel by Edward Hayes. He wrote, 
O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come forth from deep within me with Christmas luminous beauty. For my heart has become the sacred crib, the birthing place of God among us. Peace on earth and justice for all will only become manifest in our lives when enough of your children awaken to your divine design that has made each of us an emerging Emmanuel. This, this, my friends, is the light in the darkness. It is Emmanuel, God with us and God within us. This is the reason why. God's conspiracy of loving us, and so the reason for our great rejoicing on this night, this holy night. Hallelujah. Amen.